0: Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to talk to you about how OCD and anxiety can impact eating. And this is probably, I think, in my opinion, one of the more scarier ways that anxiety and OCD can manifest because when it starts to impact their ability to get sustenance in them and keep their body alive, it can get really scary really fast. So I want to talk about, I've done other episodes on ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, but I wanted to cover a more general topic around the many different ways that anxiety or OCD can impact eating. Because I think sometimes it doesn't get to the point of a diagnosis like ARFID, but it is another theme in the anxiety or OCD category, and it can grow out of control really fast. And so I want to go over the many different ways that it can show up. And then in the second half of the episode, we'll talk about some of the ways that you can start to approach that. But before I get started, I do want to Thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, convenient, effective therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule a whole free, I don't know why I said a whole, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to TreatMyOCD.com. That's TreatMyOCD.com and see what they have available for you in your area. I first want to go through all the different ways that this can show up. And the reason why I think it's important for us to understand that is a lot of times there are early indicators that anxiety or OCD is, has its eye on the food. And if you've been dealing with other issues, you may miss these beginning ones, or you might get squirreled as far as what the cause is. And so it's, it's always helpful, I think, for parents to know the many ways anxiety or OCD can show up, not to overwhelm you the more, you know, the quicker you, you can spot these things. My kids are coming up with like, especially my daughter right now, she has a lot of intrusive thoughts that I would never ever spot. If I was not an OCD therapist, it's interesting because even though I'm an anxiety and OCD therapist, I sometimes like doubt myself and I'll think, is that really like, is that an OCD thing? And then you know, a few weeks later when it's really obvious, I'm like, yeah, no, I was right. My gut instinct was right, but it's things that you would never, maybe I'll do podcast episode on some of her topics because they are, they're not obvious. She has a thing about a fear of big spaces. And, um, a lot of times people think that, you know, claustrophobia, you know, about being just small spaces, but there are people who have the opposite as well but it feeds into her OCD, but I'm not going to go into it today, but that'd be a good, another good episode. Uh, But my whole point is if I wasn't educated in the multitude of ways that anxiety or OCD can show up, I would have missed that. You know, she'll say things like, Oh, the, you know, the clouds scare me or the clouds make me uncomfortable or, Oh, those mountains make me uncomfortable. And I, I would have probably just discounted that. So my goal for this podcast in general is to just fill you up with that knowledge. And so you just have all of this awareness and if you see these things you'll know how to spot them okay so let's start talking about how it can impact eating surprisingly anxiety and ocd can impact eating in a in a, in a crazy amount of ways so i'm going to run through them rather fast we don't have to dive too deep into them i don't want to bore anyone but it's just good for you to to have an understanding of all this so the first one and i just like brainstormed this so i might be missing some i'm sure i'm missing some and anxiety and ocd is creative so if you can think it, it it can be. So this is obviously not all inclusive, but it's some of the main ones. So the first one is fear of throwing up and they're not in any particular order. <laughs> this one is very alive and kicking in my house. And your child might have some GI issues. Like my daughter has celiac and would naturally feel nauseous. We actually found out she was also lactate intolerant or lactose intolerant. She has to take lactate. And so she was nauseous a lot of the time, but then anxiety or OCD can glom onto actual issues. And so it's not this or that, it can be both, especially when it comes to anxiety or OCD. And so then she developed a secondary issue with the fear of throwing up, emetophobia. And so kids with the fear of throw up, they might inspect their food. They might worry that their food is not fully cooked or that it looks weird or it smells weird. They might look at expiration dates. Those are compulsions. They might ask you if this looks okay. If they see like a little dot in there, they might be concerned. And so inspecting food comes from a couple of different core fears. It can come from the core fear of, I don't want this food to make me sick and I don't want to throw up. It can come from the fear of germs. And so that might be, did you sneeze on this? Did you wash your hands before you cooked my food? Um, Were the utensils clean? And the fear of germs can sometimes be about the fear of throw up and sometimes not. And the reason why this is so important is that when the more we know about the core fear, we're going to talk about this in the second half of this episode, but the more we know about the core fear, the better crafted our exposures can be. We can miss the mark. And I'll talk about this when we talk about exposures, but we can miss the mark if we're assuming what the fear is or what the discomfort is. It's not always a fear. And that's in and of itself a problem. If you're thinking it's a fear and it's not a fear, it's a core feeling. We'll talk about that later as well. But your child can have, it's whack-a-mole, your child can have issues around eating because they're afraid of throwing up. And then later down the road, they can have issues around eating for a different reason. So we don't want to get so stuck into the core fear that we have blinders on. Um, And we don't want to get stuck into the core fear to the point where we think that I need to know how to treat every individual core fear because it's different. The foundation, and I say this a lot because I want people to understand that if you're dealing with moral OCD and scrupulosity issues, and then your child has contamination or the fear of throwing up, the framework of how you're going to deal with OCD will be the same, no matter what intrusive thought or feeling a compulsion or a need to avoid how you interact with that and how you deal with it is the same. And I teach that in my class, how to teach kids to crush OCD and how to teach kids to crush anxiety, two separate classes. And in my class, oh my- keep forgetting the name of this class. I need to like memorize it. Uh it's a kid and teen course for OCD. I don't know. I'm sure there's a better title for it, but why I keep forgetting it, I have no idea. Let me go look it up. No, it's Crushing OCD Class for Kids and Teens. That's not hard. Why can't I remember that? <laughs> okay, Crushing OCD Class for Kids and Teens. I'm the one that came up with the title. Let me try to remember that. But anyway, the framework that I teach in there, it's the same regardless of what theme the child has at any given time. So don't get so hung up on the core fear that that's all you want to know about. And you want to know, how do I, how do I treat moral OCD? Well, how do you treat OCD in general? Or how do I treat separation anxiety? My child has that, but then they're also afraid of the dark. Well, how we treat anxiety in general is the same. The framework is the same, but to craft a very effective exposure, which we'll talk about, the more information I have about what's driving the fear for that particular thing is really helpful. And it's also important it's just like some basic 101 here, but it's important to understand that I can have I'm going to have one core fear and then I'll have lots of compulsions or avoidance around that core fear. So I might have on my plate of anxiety or OCD, I might have a scoop of metaphobia and I might have a scoop of separation anxiety and I might have a scoop of contamination. And so those might be some of my Themes, and with each scoop comes a bunch of compulsions or a bunch of avoidance. And so it's important to understand how anxiety or OCD shows up. It's a theme. So if I have health anxiety, I might be worried about all different things around my health. But it's not like I have a million fears. It's I have one fear. It's my health. But it's showing up in all these different areas, and then I'm doing and avoiding different compulsions and things because of that core fear. And I might have two or three core fears, and Dozens and dozens of compulsions, but I'm really only dealing with two or three core fears. Does that make sense? Okay. I hope it does. Okay. So we've got fear of throwing up, separate from that, fear of germs. And so sometimes germs is about the fear of throwing up. And so it really is the fear of throwing up and not the fear of germs. But sometimes the fear of germs is separate. The core fear of germs could be around dying. So really, my core fear is dying. I don't want to die. Germs are. Just a conduit to death, you know? Or germs, just the idea or concept of germs makes me feel gross or disgusting. And so there's no fear of death. There's no fear of throwing up. There's no fear underneath it. It's just gross. And so the, actually the core fear is the feeling of disgust. I am fearful of feeling disgusted. I don't think I'll be able to manage it. And that is my core, core fear. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's like I'm having a conversation with you. Like I expect you to answer. You're like, yes, Natasha, go on. Okay, good. So that's one of them. We can have a fear of taste. Now, the fear of taste is not really a core fear because what am I deducing from the fear of taste? So it might be I won't be able to handle it. It's going to taste so gross, I won't be able to handle it. So then the fear of disgust is actually my core fear. It might indicate there's something wrong with the food. So if it tastes kind of funky, then maybe I'm back to the, I'm afraid I'm going to throw up or I'm afraid there's germs in it. Uh, I could have a fear of poison. A lot of people with OCD worried that their food has some sort of poison in it, whether someone put it there or something got into it that's not healthy and it's poisonous. And so you can have that. You can have the fear of food poisoning, but really that's not the core fear. The core fear could be the food poisoning is going to make me throw up or um, I don't like to feel sick, or I'm afraid I'm going to die. I have seen and this now moving a little bit More into the realm of maybe things that you haven't heard of, unless you have a kid who has this. There are people who won't eat because they're afraid of dust getting in their food. There are people who are afraid of eating anything that's on a plastic, you know, due to cancer. Um, So the core fear might be again back to death or back to like chemicals, which again goes back to the core fear of death. And I'm hoping that by just listening to me talk, even if you're not dealing with this at all and you're just like, I just listened to Natasha or whatever, it's just part of my routine which I like, I appreciate that. It's going to teach, I'm training you how to think about these things in a more therapy sort of way, right? You can see how I'm getting to the core fear. Because I think a lot of times people really struggle with this. Um, We just opened up the AT Parenting community, my membership community, got a whole bunch of new members. And whenever we get new members, it's super active, especially in the beginning, because people can talk to me directly in the forums, which is we have like a member website. And then we have forums like bulletin boards where people can message me back and forth and, you know, I walk them through things and it's very busy this morning. And so I've been pretty much on my iPad all morning answering questions. And I realized that finding the core fear is not as obvious as I think it is, you know, because I think it's just so second nature to me. But so many of the questions were like, this is what my child's dealing with. And I'm like, yeah, but what's the core fear? I don't know. They won't do this or they won't touch that. It's like, but what's the core fear? You know, have you asked them, what's the worst part of this? And they'll come back with an answer. And then I'm like, but that's not the core fear. What's the worst part of that? And they'll come back with an answer. And I'm like, yeah, but what's the worst part about that? And I'm, I'm sure I'm incredibly annoying. <laughs> but when I know, okay, this is the core fear, all the other things click into place. And their anxiety or CD makes a lot more sense to me. And then we can craft a really effective exposure or how to approach that issue based on that. And so I hope you're picking that up. Okay. So we got dust and plastics, green eating. So healthy eating that actually can, can be another OCD issue. And that one gets missed a lot because this can look like a person who is conscientious. And so they might be wanting to eat things that are organic or that are healthy, but OCD can glum onto anything, including green eating. And so you can have people who have, you know, environmental or green type of belief systems that OCD hijacks, and then it becomes very compulsive. And so things get more and more limited. And so it's not, you you always have to look at what's typical green eating versus what is disordered eating. And sometimes it's just compulsive and sometimes it can move into an eating disorder. And we're not going to get into that today, but that can get a little bit messy as far as distinguishing. You can also have people who have a body dysmorphic disorder. You know, they might think they have a big stomach or they might have Body parts that they are misperceiving as distorted. And so they might impact their eating. They may not want to eat due to that. Um, you have people who have not eating disorders, but it's OCD or it's BDD, like body dysmorphic disorder, which looks very different than an eating disorder like anorexia or bulimia, but it starts to develop rules around eating. And so you might have um, what they can eat, what they can't eat, how many calories they can have, but it really, It's more rule-based and compulsive. And so that can be very tricky too. Moving on from there, you can have people who have concerns that the food has feelings. And so this can start off with, you know, I wanna be vegetarian. I don't wanna eat animals. And then it can move into, um, this is actually what happened to my son is it started off with him not wanting to eat anything that had been alive. And then he discovered plants were technically alive. And so he couldn't eat anything that was plant-based. And so, but then Cheetos, you know, maybe Cheetos were alive, and so then I was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's not a vegetarian. You can't be like a Cheeto vegetarian." You know, he he's having OCD, and so that's how his arfid started. Probably it started before that, but that's one of the things that I had noticed was um, he was worried that his food had feelings. Another one is a fear of choking. It's a really really common one, more in the anxiety category, but it can turn into very compulsive, where kids have to over chew. They're re- worried about food being too chewy. They might have to drink an excessive amount of water with their food. They might have to overcut their food into small little pieces. A lot of compulsions around that that can slow down eating and prevent eating entirely. You have a lot of people who wind up going on liquid diets because they're afraid of choking. Sometimes they've had a bad experience, but you know, we've all had bad experiences where we've almost choked at one point. I think sometimes parents put too much credence into bad experiences because. You know, we all have bad experiences. We've all had that kid in our class who threw up, or we've all been that kid in that class that's thrown up, but we didn't all develop a metaphobia. You know, we've all had times where we've choked on our food at one point, but we didn't all develop a choking phobia. And so we want to be careful about not seeing it purely as trauma, Um, unless, you know, people were doing the Heimlich maneuver on you and there was like true trauma. We have experiences in a lot of these different areas where people develop phobias because they have. predisposition to having anxiety or OCD. And it's just waiting for that little trigger point. It's just waiting for, you know, something to be watered and blossomed for it to bloom. And so, because I think sometimes we spend too much on the trauma part of that when, you know, like I've almost choked on lots of things. Actually, I have a choking phobia. So that, (laughs) that is not a good example, but it manifested that way maybe because of that experience. But if it wasn't that, it could have been something else because it is in my gen- it's in my genes. It's just ready and rampant and w- ready to go. So you can have the choking phobia. You can have, it looks weird. The food looks weird. And so there can be, again, a core feeling of disgust. And my son also has this where he just looks at food and he feels like it looks like a, a character from like his cartoon that he watches and it's disgusting. Or it looks like Vomit, or it looks like something else, and it turns him off, and it makes him feel gross, which then makes him feel a little nauseous. He does have a little like fear of throwing up. It's not like one of his main uh, dishes; it's a side dish. But feeling disgusted turns him off from eating. You can also have kids who have just contamination issues, and it bleeds into their food because someone touched it, and they're contaminated, or they had a bad thought while they were touching the food or the kitchen is contaminated for some reason, that can be an issue. You can have people who have food allergies, whether they have a fear of a food allergy, or they actually have a food allergy. And just because you have a peanut allergy, or you have um, had a bad reaction to food, doesn't mean that OCD can't hijack that and make it its own thing. Just because you actually have a health condition doesn't mean that OCD can't take that and run with it. And so It does for a lot of people who have food allergies, and then you have people who are afraid of food allergies. So there's, those are two different types of issues, but the core fear is the same. You know, I'm afraid I'm going to have a food allergy and I'm going to die is normally the core fear, um, or it could be something else. And so that is a lot, that's a lot of different ways that anxiety or OCD can impact your eating. Now, I I do want to mention before we move into talking about what to do about these things, And I'm not going to dive too deep because I do have a whole podcast on RFID, but I'm going to talk about where you start with all of this, is mentioning pandas and pans. Pandas and pans, um, just because your child has anxiety or OCD doesn't mean they have pandas and pans. And I feel like there is a little bit, just like anything that comes out and we discover things, then we think everything is that. And so I think it's important to know that with pandas and pans, there are some things that are more of a red flag than just anxiety or OCD in general, and and it impacting your child's eating is one of them. And so with PANDAS and PANS, we are looking at a whole bunch of other symptoms that you don't typically see with OCD, but one of them is you do see with anxiety and OCD, but it's also one of those uh, markers that that is very, very common with PANDAS and PANS. So if you are seeing an impact on eating and you have other symptoms, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but you know if your child has you know, intense rages, and maybe they have some incontinence that they didn't have before. They're having some bedwetting. Math skills are decompensating. Handwriting is decompensating. Memory issues, sometimes separation anxiety. Those are all, you know, cluster together. Those are all red flags for pandas and pans. Doesn't mean that your child has that. But if somebody tells me, you know, this is all that's happened all, all of a sudden, or these are the symptoms my child is dealing with, then it's good to get that assessed. Um, my son has autoimmune issues going on and you know it's loosely called pants, but then we don't know exactly what's happening with him. And it's not like any kind of medical intervention has been able to help him. But one thing I do notice is that his his issues with food are very physiological. There are OCD issues around it, but he doesn't even seem to get the message that he's hungry anymore. Sometimes the food is disgusting. Sometimes it repulses him. Sometimes he feels nauseous. Sometimes he feels too full. Sometimes he is he's worried he's going to choke. And so he's over chewing. Um, sometimes it feels too chewy. And like it could be something that is not chewy at all. And so it's also nonsensical where he can eat something like a gummy or a chewy candy, and that doesn't bother him at all. And it would bother me. Like, I can't make this thing disappear you know, my mouth, I have to swallow it, but he'll eat something like, I'm trying to think of an example, something that's completely not chewy, like eggs or something like that, that nobody would think is chewy. And he would be like, oh, it's just too chewy. I can't eat it. So OCD is nonsensical, but if you are dealing with a lot of restrictive eating, we definitely, you know, and you have some of those other things that I talked about, look into pandas and pans as well. Go to pandasnetwork.org get more information on that website. Okay. After the break, I want to talk about what to do with all this stuff. Where do you start when you're, when you're noticing these things and just to get you going in the right direction. So we'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands, introducing crushing OCD course for kids and teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice it was easy to use Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer there's different ages you know so there were younger kids there were teenagers and um so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids it was a nice variety It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So It was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. It seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it, so it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow, it's nice, bite sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful to learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to at parenting, survival Welcome back. Okay. So when you're starting to see eating issues, it's really important to tackle it head on because the wait and see approach for anxiety issues around eating is a slippery slope and OCD issues as well, it can grow bigger pretty quickly and it can get serious pretty quickly. Because if you have a child who's not eating for two or three days, now you're already in a very scary place medically. And so unlike other issues, if I have a child who doesn't, you know, is washing their hands over and over or showering, those are long-term big struggles, but they're not going to be like life or death issues, like very quickly. So as they're popping up, you really want to find that core fear. Be careful about closed ended questions. And I've been really trying to train members of the AT parenting community about this because I'm seeing that it's a very hard thing, I think, for parents to do. I should make a whole podcast on this. I think most of the time, parents are asking a lot of closed ended questions. You know, are you afraid of choking? Are you afraid of throwing up? Are you not able to eat it because it's too chewy? Or are you not able to eat it because, you know, it's making you feel disgusted? Or are you worried there's something in there? Or are you? Do you notice these are all closed-ended questions? (laughs) They're leading. And so if your child wasn't going to say yes to that before, if that wasn't an issue, they might either just say yes because they don't know what else to say or to get you off their back, or now maybe they're worried about that too. And so maybe I'll do a whole podcast on that. But ask open-ended questions. What's the hardest part about you eating that? Open-ended, right? That's open-ended. They have to fill in the gaps. I did not spoon-feed or lead them in in any way, right? What's the hardest part about you eating that? Or what was the most nerve wracking part about that? If they looked anxious, get information. Well, it was too chewy. And what's, what's the hardest part when it's chewy? Well, I might choke. All right, now we're getting somewhere, right? That's, there's a core fear. So go all the way down. What's, what's the hardest part about eating your food on that plate? Well, it's plastic. What's the, what's the scariest part about plastic? Or what is your OCD? I, I like to try to externalize it as much as I can and say things like, what does your OCD say? is bad about plastic or is, you know, is not okay about plastic, right? You, in a perfect world, you want to remove any kind of judgment word to it because they might disagree with you and say, well, it's not bad. It's just gross. Or, and they might say, well, you know, plastic causes cancer. And then you're like, oh, okay. Now we're getting somewhere, right? What's the scariest part about cancer? I want to go all the way down that rabbit hole. I want to make sure I'm on the bottom because I don't know you know, maybe I'm afraid of cancer because I'm going to lose my hair and people aren't going to like me. Don't assume. I think we always assume. I want to hit the bottom so hard that like it's reverberating through my body. <laughs> you know, like, I want to be like, I am clearly at the bottom and disgust might be the bottom. So don't, don't keep drilling when you are hitting concrete at the bottom because you're going to really annoy your kid too. So, you know, they might say cancer and then I'm like, what's the scariest part about cancer? Not what's bad about cancer. Cause that sounds like a stupid question. What's the scariest part? Well, you know, I don't want to die. Okay. Core, core fear, right? Or I'll give you another example. My daughter has some disgust issues, my youngest, and she makes ham sandwiches, but then she puts ketchup and mayonnaise on them. That's, that's her deal. But that's what she does. And she's gagging and she doesn't like it. It's on the, it's on the knife and it's gross. And I'll say, what's the hardest part of it, making your sandwich? And she said, uh, the mayonnaise is gross. What's the grossest part? It just looks gross. Well, that's it. That's the core fear for her. It's just gross. It looks gross. And so be aware of that as well, because when you're getting the word disgusting and gross, it's just gross or germs are just gross. You're at the bottom. All right. So once I know that, that helps because the answer to these issues is not to accommodate. And that is scary because when we're talking about food and the lifeline to our kids' growth, we're going to want to go really slow on pulling back accommodations. But there's a difference between knowing that accommodations is not the answer, but I have to go slow versus all I need to do is find my child a different thing to eat and it will all go away. These are not sensory issues. These are not kids that have grown up from the get-go, not liking lumps and bumps and things are chewy. We're not talking about sensory issues. That's a sensory issue. And that's a sensory processing disorder issue. And that's different. You can have both. But what we're talking about today is these these can pop out of nowhere. My son didn't have sensory issues. My oldest daughter, my 19-year-old, has SPD. And we had a feeding therapist. She was failure to thrive. And lumps and bumps and chewy things, all of that was a struggle. She wasn't able to eat solids until she was way past two. That was a sensory issue. My son, he was doing fine. We had some pans issues when he was eight months old, where he couldn't eat. That's when we had our first episode of restrictive eating at eight months old, because he had had scarlet fever, and you know it's interesting, it's all interrelated. But for eight months, he would only eat yogurt, banana yogurt. That's it, literally nothing, no milk, nothing. We could not get anything into him, and then just as quickly as it came, it it disappeared. Fast forward, then we had the same issue when he was eight. Now he's thirteen. We're dealing with it again, but it doesn't it has not seemed to have gone away the way that, you know, you normally have flares and then there's like this period of like this reprieve where it goes away. We're not having that anymore. But that's about me, not about you. <laughs> but you want to take these things seriously, understand the core fears, and then you want to tackle them one slow step at a time. And so I did do a whole podcast episode on RFID in like the systematic ways that we approach things. And I'll tell you what episode that was. I had to look it up for a second. Episode 217. So if you go to my website and you go all the way to the bottom. So go to atparentingsurvival.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a search button, type in ARFID and you'll find it on my website, or you can look at it wherever you consume your podcast. But episode 217 is helping kids who struggle to eat with ARFID and OCD. Well, let me see what else. I also did a YouTube video when anxiety or OCD makes you afraid to eat. And that is for your kids to watch directly. So if you go to my website, it's actually probably better because you can access all of these. If you go to the search button and just type in ARFID, you're going to find all of these episode 70 when anxiety and OCD starves, our kids RFID and restrictive eating. So yeah, I've done episode 135, the difference between picky eating and extreme picky eating. And so it's probably better to go to my website to find this. All I did was I searched RFID and these are the things that popped up. Episode 217 is the one where I actually really walk you through, kind of pull the, the curtain back with my own son's journey and talk about the things that we have done. It has been an uphill battle because I think when you're dealing with pants, you're dealing with a physiological aspect. And so exposures just aren't enough. I mean, everything's physiological, anxiety or OCD is physiological, but there's there's something even on top of that when you're dealing with pans and pandas. So it's like, it's even harder because we have to do the exposures, but then I also have to recognize that it's going to be an uphill battle for him. And it is, um, he's actually on medications, multiple medications to help his appetite and to make him hungry. But along with that, we have to do exposures because that's not going to cut it. So both are important. So when you're dealing with like a really intense issue, you're going to need to deal with both. And so that is something to to look into as well. Um, but listen to that episode on fit, the one I just talked about, and I will walk you through what we did. We created like a a I do a color coding of like green are safe foods and yellow are, you know, slightly anxious foods and red are no-go foods. And then I also list like what kind of compulsions do we have around the food. And so separate it out. Um, and I walk you through with that episode. So we're definitely not going to do that in this episode because that's a whole episode in and of itself. So listen to that one next. But the important thing is in this episode is to know that you need to get a plan. So you have to find the core fear, get a plan. You're gonna tackle one thing at a time. With my son, we also identified all the compulsions around eating. And so over-chewing was a compulsion. Drinking water is a compulsion. Using extra sauces so it's not dry, so it's not chewy, so he doesn't choke is a compulsion. Spitting his food out is a compulsion inspecting his food as a compulsion. So when you break that down for your child, that helps it. So we were able to say, these are the intrusive thoughts that I have around food currently, because it changes for my son all the time. And then these are my compulsions. And so when even, no matter what your child is dealing with, when we make it easier for them to understand their, their issue, just because it's their issue doesn't mean they understand it. When we say, you know, let's talk about all the intrusive thoughts and feelings you have around food, And then let's talk about all the compulsions you have. We can't impact the intrusive thoughts that you have around food or feelings because we don't get to control what feelings and thoughts we have as human beings, but we do get to control what we do with them. It is the compulsions and the avoidance that we work on. And so we start off small. And so just exposing my child to food isn't going to help if I don't know what his core fear is or what his compulsions are. And that's why we need to know all those things. So I'll give you some examples. Like an exposure, if I, if I was someone who was worried that there were dots on my food, like some myster- mysterious brown stuff, and I was worried about it because I didn't want to get sick. I didn't want to get sick because I was afraid of throw up. Well, separately, I would be working on emetophobia, the fear of throw up, and I might be doing exposures around that. I might be looking at pictures and eventually videos of people throwing up. I know that's gross, but that's the treatment for it. So I might be doing my separate work on that issue. If I have a fear of dying, I might be doing some exposures on the fear of death. I just made a YouTube video on that recently. Um, And so I might be working on that separately. If I'm worried about cancer and dying, again, I might be doing exposures about that. I might be touching plastic. You know, there's probably other behaviors outside of eating that's impacting my fear of plastic. And so I might be doing exposures where I have to hold a plastic plate and not wash my hands afterwards. And that's going to help my eating issue. And so if I don't realize that that's the core fear and I'm just saying like, okay, well, you had a hard time eating this burger. And so we're going to do exposure where you eat this burger again. I'm missing the whole point, right? It's because the burger's on the plate and the plate is plastic and plastic in my is causing cancer. And so anything that touches plastic, I can't eat. It's not about the burger but you didn't go far enough deep down to get to that core fear. So you don't realize that. So you're having me eat this burger again and I don't really care about the burger, right? Versus someone else who says, oh, that burger's a little pink, right? You're like, but it's on a plastic plate. Woo-hoo, that's scary. No, not really. Cause I don't care about the plastic. I care that it's pink inside. That's bothering me. And so it may seem obvious, but getting to that core fear really helps because I want to target not only the go-to foods and the not go-to foods, but I want to target the core fear beyond that. And so if maybe ketchup is disgusting for you, I actually had a kid once that I worked with where ketchup was disgusting. And so if anyone was eating ketchup, if the ketchup was at the table, they had to eat somewhere else. And so we started off with the ketchup bottle being in the other room. That was a lot for that kid. And then the ketchup bottle moved closer and eventually we got ketchup you know outside of the bottle on a plate next to the child and then it was eventually on the child's plate. And they were eating around it. They don't have to ever eat ketchup. That wasn't the point, but it was for them to be able to function with ketchup in their environment. Because if it's not ketchup, it could be something else. A lot of times we say, well, this is stupid. Who cares? So so they won't eat ketchup or they won't eat rice or they won't eat steak. It doesn't matter. But when it's anxiety or OCD, it doesn't stop at that. It moves on to the next thing and the next thing. So yeah, you avoid, okay, you don't want steak because it's too chewy. Then don't eat steak, right? And then it's chickens too chewy. Don't eat chicken. That's fine. Oh, you know what? But this tofu was a little chewy. Well, tofu, tofu's not chewy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to make sense. So it's a slippery slope. And so when it's a preference, I just don't like the taste of that. I just never like that. That's fine. But when it's a compulsion, or an avoidance, which it can be a compulsion, then that's another issue. And you have to be able to differentiate between the two. It's okay if our kids don't want to eat everything. I don't like lim- lima beans. It's not a compulsion. I'm not avoiding it because I have anxiety or OCD. They're just gross to me. That's fine, right? Or if I have a sensory issue, that I might be tackling that in a different sort of way, perhaps. You know, I just can't handle that particular texture. You know, eating steak is a chewy texture that I'm not used to, and I have a hard time breaking it down in my mouth. That might be handled in a different way. But when it comes to anxiety or OCD, it's on to the next thing. And you know, if you have a choking issue, eventually it can say, "Water. I can choke on water." I mean, it can really bring you down to the point where you have to be G-tubed. And so we want to take small steps. And so one of the things that we're doing with my son is like, he's trying to chew less, he'll over chew things. And so, and only he will know this. I can't, I can't manage this. He has to manage this this himself. He'll say, I'm going to swallow it before I'm comfortable. And for him, it's like literally pureed. It's like barely even there anymore before he can swallow it. He wants to break it down so much. So it takes a very long time for him to eat. And so he'll say, I'll do an exposure and I'll say, what do you want to do? And he'll say, I'm going to swallow this sooner than I, my OCD would let, let me. And then of course I have a choking phobia. So I'm like, well, just make sure that you chew it enough, which is totally not helpful and is my own issue. But then he'll say, no, I'll chew it. But, and so he chews it and then he'll swallow it and have a hard time and he'll earn his bravery points for doing that. Or he'll say, I'm not going to have water with this meal. Or I'm not going to use any sauces with this meal, or I'm going to eat this thing that looks disgusting to me, or I'm going to just take one more bite of it. But the first thing you want to do is get lay of the land. And I think a lot of times in general, as parents, not all of us, but some of us get so overzealous that we don't get lay of the land before we want to jump right in. And I see this a lot in my online community where parents hear that they should be doing exposures and they just want to jump right in into exposures without really getting lay of the land. To me, it's kind of like if I was a painter, which I'm not a good painter, so it's a bad analogy. But if I was going to paint my house, so not beautiful painter, but like house painter, uh, although that's beautiful too, I'm going to spend a lot of time prepping, right? Have you ever noticed if you're getting any paint work done in your house or if you're doing it yourself, most of the time is taping, right? They tape and they're taping every little corner and they're like putting things down and you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to take forever. But then when they actually paint, that takes no time at all. It's the prep work, because if you prep well enough, it's going to go smoothly. It's going to take less time because you're not going to have to fix mistakes or splatters or things that bleed out through the tape. It's the same thing with exposures. If I get all my foundational stuff, and I know the core fear. I know what I'm tackling. I know what the compulsions are. I know what the avoidance is. I'm letting my child drive it a little bit. I'm working on motivation, communication, get all those pieces in line. Then we do the exposure. It's like painting. It's going to be beautiful. I'm just going to spray it on and it's going to be perfect. That's why we want to do a lot of the work ahead of time, regardless of what your child's issue is, whether it's anxiety or OCD around any topic, do the foundational work around everything before you jump into exposures, because it's helpful because otherwise I might be telling my child, you know, to eat this and, you know, because it may or may not make them sick and they don't really care about that. It's just the overall feeling of disgust, right? So they might say, I'm afraid of germs. And then I may not go deeper and realize that it's just the concept, the grossness of having germs on there. And so I might say, you're going to eat this. And as an exposure, I'm going to say, oh, you might get sick. Oh, here it is. But you may or may not get sick, right? That could be an exposure. That's, that, that would be an exposure that I would do with someone who might be afraid of germs because they're afraid they're going to get sick. Not the first exposure. We'd work up to that, right? And we would, you know, be in agreement. I would get someone's approval before I did that. But if their core fear is germs are disgusting and just the idea of germs on my food makes me feel gross, that exposure is going to fall flat. Okay, so what? I might get sick. That doesn't gross me out, right? But if you said, ew, there's germs. They're like, their little legs are crawling all over your food. Or maybe I'm even creative and I put like, you know, some little, you know, candy things in here, like some little green, you know, sprinkles or something. And we say, look, you can actually see the germs. You know, Bob is waving at you. I think it's always funny to have a good sense of humor about it. That is going to be a really effective exposure compared to me saying you're going to get sick, right? Because I'm, I'm laser focused. I am focused on exactly what their core fear is in that moment around that food. Does that make sense? All right. Well, I hope that you found this helpful. I will be back next Tuesday for another one. If you are enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit a star and review it. If you have a few extra minutes, you know, I greatly appreciate you writing a review. And I would like to thank Krista for writing a review. It was kind of quiet for a little while. So thank you, Krista, for adding a review there. She wrote, this podcast has been a lifesaver. Thank you, Natasha, so much for these podcasts. I've been binge listening ever since my son's OCD diagnosis, and I can't tell you how much it it is helping us with communication, acceptance, and being a better parent to both our child with OCD and his sibling. Well, thank you, Krista from Canada. I appreciate that. Uh, Maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do and find the sparkle in your kids outside of anxiety or OCD. I know sometimes that can be a little tricky, but important. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care.